The views, information, or opinions expressed during the Lex Talk More Action podcast are solely those of the individuals involved and should not be construed as advice, nor do they necessarily reflect the views of Community Action Council's governing bodies, leadership, or staff, or our funding partners. Community Action Council is a private, nonprofit, and nonpartisan organization. We do not support or endorse any political candidates. This the city's number one podcast. Love the topics, the guests, and all of the contrast. They ain't focused on the views and the traffic. What's the point of shining if no jewels for the masses? We gotta spread the news of our passion. Service is a verb, now that's community action. Yo, everybody, let's talk. Nothing talking ain't enough, so everybody, let's walk. We all want freedom, the eagle and the stars. But the only way to reach it, meet the people where they are. Unity's the only way to fend these atrocities. You and me together can eliminate poverty. And this is just a vessel of expression to make sure we stay on the message of progression. Yes, everybody, let's talk. Bring your ideas and together we walk. Protect our seeds from the poisonous root and we gotta reach the source and the soul and the root. Yes, everybody, let's talk. We need community action. Together we walk. Together we work in to reduce violence. Speak through the airways. We refuse violence. Let's talk. You are listening to Let's Talk. More action. I'm your co-host Cameron Minter and our host Sharon Price is in the building. Hey Cameron. How you doing? I'm wonderful. I'm excited about our guest today. Yes, 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 yes. We are still celebrating, still celebrating Women's History Month and we have a powerful woman here on the show today. Let me introduce to you the Hannah L. Drake. She's a blogger, an activist, a public speaker, a poet, and the author of 11 books and so much more when it comes to social justice. Welcome, Hannah. How are you? I am doing well. Thank you for having me. Oh, so excited um, to get to talk to you, especially during Women's History Month. Um, We have been celebrating women, you know, I guess, for the past three years, really, with an Unapologetically Woman series. And then, you know, with Women's History Month, mm-hmm. um, just love um, being able to um, lift up people that are doing the work in the community, community. And so glad to have you today. So tell me about your story. Well, I'm not even sure uh, where to start. Um, Let's start. I'm going to tell you to start start with that (laughs) activist part because, you know, that is change making. You know, I'm not I I all my life. I've always tried to stick up for the underdog or what people consider the little person. I'm not quite sure why. Uh, It just has always bothered me to see something uh, wrong happening in in the world and often uh, wrong things that happen in the world are directed towards black people mm-hmm. and me being a black woman, I just could not uh, remain silent. I, and I, I believe um, as sure as I know my name that God gave me this gift for such a time as this. And I was just supposed to write and speak about uh, the injustice that I see in the world. I certainly, uh, didn't know at the time, you know, and I grew up at the time with Rodney King. I remember seeing mm-hmm. this video, this grainy video, it's all over the news of Rodney King. So this is what I grew up with, and and uh, certainly in Louisville, I didn't anticipate 
uh, that we would have this situation like Breonna Taylor. And we had been fighting for justice for, you know, Eric Garner and Mike Brown and Trayvon and Sandra. And then Breonna Taylor happened uh, right here in Louisville. And I remember watching online some of the protests the first night. And I thought there's no way that this is happening in my city and I'm not going right. to be a part of that. I have to go down to where they're protesting and I have to say something. So, and so I think it's just in my blood. Oh, I, I believe it absolutely <laughs> is in your blood because you were a leading voice in the whole Breonna um, Taylor protest. Um, and you had, you played a key role with the no knock warrants. Right. I think one of the first things uh, we asked ourselves was uh, why were they at Breonna's house? How did they enter her home? And our first thing was to follow that warrant. Even before the Department of Justice had arrived in Louisville, many people were saying there's something up with that warrant. It just didn't seem right, right. that the police had entered her home. And sure enough, come to find out that the police did, in fact, lie to obtain the, the, the warrant. And that's what led to um, the death of Breonna Taylor. And recently there was a decision um, made by the DOJ. Is that correct? Yeah, the DOJ recently put out this report outlining uh, many, many failures uh, in the police department here. Uh, one, the, the entire report, the report is about 90 pages long, and I read the entire report. Uh, one thing that stuck with me is there is uh, a sentence that black people in Louisville were targeted to be terrorized mm. for years. This went on for years. Um, and it, it it's heartbreaking to me that in this city, in a city that I try to give my very best to, in a state that I try to give my very best to, that the people that are supposed to protect and serve me are intentionally targeting and terrorizing of black people. Wow. That, that's very, very heartbreaking. Listen, it, it's, it's almost taking my breath away, you know, just hearing you, hearing you talk about it, you know, so let me ask you since, since all of the protesting um, work with no, not warrants, do you think that in Kentucky we're better off? No, no, I, I don't, you know, and I hate to say that, uh, but I don't believe that we are better off, especially since this report came out where I challenge, uh, we have a, a new mayor, of course, in Louisville now, uh, and this report came out and I challenge our mayor and our leadership because you are dealing with the same officers. So the same officers are still in the department and in the DOJ report, they said that black people, the officers were calling black people monkeys, animals, boys. And, and I, I don't know how you reform that. How do you reform uh, someone that views me as an animal mm -hmm. simply based on the fact that I'm black? I think there's a lot of work to be done here in Louisville, a lot of work to be done across the state. One thing that I just, I, it, I understand it inherently, but I wish people could get this across this state and this nation, that when black people rise, everybody rises. Right. 
It's simply baked into the system. That's how the system works. You will not do anything to benefit black people and it won't benefit everybody. And in here, I, I have all the things that I need in Louisville as a person. I'm not trying to take anything away from anybody in Eastern Kentucky and Western Kentucky. I am not your enemy. The people that are harming you do not look like me. The people that are writing the laws that are taking away things from you do not look like me. I'm trying to fight so that you have these things and you believe that I'm your enemy and I'm not. And if we would work together, that's how all of Kentucky rises. We will not rise continually being divided. That will not work. But until you learn to see me as someone that doesn't seek to do you any harm, I'm trying to help you so that we both can rise together until people get that. But there is this myth and it has worked for years and will continue to work that black people are trying to take something away from white people, particularly poor white people. Right. And if you give something to black people, it's going to take something away from you. When in fact, if you help black people, it will only benefit you. How do we but change that reason, mindset? That, that is going to take a lot of work. And what people need to understand when it comes to issues like that, reforming the police, uh, dealing with racism, that's an inner soul work that people mm. need to do. Yeah, That's inner work. That people and here's and here's why it doesn't happen because it don't feel good. Ooh. You know, <laughs> people people don't want to do it because oh, you, you hurt my feelings. I don't want to read that book about racism because I, I feel uncomfortable. It doesn't feel good. Change rarely happens, and it feels good all the time. If you if you if you are working out, you want to change your body. You want you want to get in shape. You go to the gym. It's not going to feel good. There's going to be some aches and some pains, some muscle soreness. Mm -hmm. But in the end, it will benefit you in the long run if you work through the pain and come out on the other side. And that's the part where we get stuck. People get, I, I don't feel, it doesn't feel good. I'm uncomfortable. You hurt my feeling. And so they don't want to do the work. They don't want to face in Kentucky. Kentucky, uh, as I've done this work, with the unknown project, trying to find the names of black people that were enslaved in Kentucky. Kentucky has done very well uh, hiding its history, pretending that, you know, we weren't, you know, we're kind of neutral during the Civil War. Kentucky was a slave state. We're going to take Kentucky a quick break. Kentucky sold 80,000 people down the river. We're going to take a quick break and we're going to come back and we're going to talk about this unknown project. You're listening to Lex Talk More Action. Community Action Council has funding available for those struggling to pay their utilities through the LIHEAP crisis program until March the 31st. You must have an appointment to receive LIHEAP benefits. More information and to apply, visit us online at comaction.org. That's C O M M action.org. 
past year has highlighted the strength of Community Action Council. Every day, our staff works together to help families recover from this crisis. We're educating children at home and in person, helping parents who lost their jobs, and helping households avoid eviction. Our work at Community Action Council has never been more important than it is right now. So why don't you join us? We have employment opportunities requiring a range of skills from entry level to advanced. Apply online at commaction.org. That's commaction.org. I love Head Start. Children love Head Start, and you will too. Community Action Council's prep academies are hiring now. Head Start is an early childhood education program for children from birth to age five. Help us give more children the Head Start advantage. Patrons, what are you waiting for? Join our team of dedicated education professionals. Apply online today at comaction.org. What are you waiting for? Welcome back to Let's Talk More Action. Our guest today is Hannah Drake. Hannah, before we went on break, you were talking about the Unknown Project. Tell us more about that. So the Unknown Project is um, a project to find the names, stories, and locations of, of Black people that were enslaved in Kentucky. Um, and so far, we have discovered over 800 names. And the beauty of this project that I love is that it's, it's the people that give us the names. And they have hidden them in their families, and they don't want to talk about it. And this project has allowed them the space to uh, submit these names. And we finally, just today, matter of fact, our uh, website with the database is live. So people can go to unknownprojecttrail.com. If you have information to submit, you can submit it there. People were sending me uh, messages on Facebook and on Twitter, on Instagram, once they heard about the project and they felt like they finally had uh, a space where they could could admit that, in fact, their family did uh, enslave people. Wow. And people ask me all the time, well, how do I find out if my family enslaves people? And I tell them, go talk to your family because your family knows the truth. And they're just hiding the truth. No one is, is really unknown. They're just hidden. Wow. I, I thought it was going from the opposite way, but it's going from the uh, um, slave owners um dictating uh, or, or giving that information. Is that correct? Yes. Yes. And it, 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 that, that, you know, like Dr. King said, we are uh, inescapably intertwined. So our history is often held in the hands of a family that has owned our family. And it is up to them to release the information. And I tell people all the time when they visit uh, the Unknown Project in Louisville, if these people were enslaved in their lives, at the very least, you can set them free in death. And you don't set them free by holding on to the names. You set them free by allowing their names to be recorded in history. Hannah, do you think that one part of the hesitancy would be the shame of knowing that your family, you know, owned other people? Very much so. And I, and I know people don't. Uh, want to speak about it often because they are ashamed. But I tell people all the time, shame doesn't set anybody free. The truth does. Mm -hmm. And so if you 
give us these names and you no longer have to carry that around. You're carrying around shame that you don't have to carry around because nobody in this day and age in 2023 believes that you enslaved anybody. But you're holding on to those names because of the shame that you're carrying that you really you don't need to carry. So I, I hope that uh, the Unknown Project can be the source of healing for people. Um, that, that's how I see it, this healing, reconciliation, a start of a, a very difficult, uh, for some, it's not difficult for me, but a difficult conversation for some because of many uh, historical facts about Kentucky people simply don't know. When I tell people that uh, Kentucky sold 80,000 people um, on the Ohio River, it's, uh, the phrase being sold down the river originated in Kentucky because Kentucky would, would traffic black people down the Ohio River uh, down to the, the deep south. Um, that's what Kentucky did. And I tell people, think about the entire population of Bowling Green, which is about 80,000 people being gone. That's how that looks. And you don't know where they're going. And you will never see them again. One of the most horrific things in doing this work um, that I've noticed is how easily families were, were divided. Very, very painful realization to see um, with no regard, no regard whatsoever. A mother would be sold from her child, a child taken from the mother, husbands taken from their wife with no regard. And I can see that maybe the children uh, in the family may not know or, you know what I'm saying, want to want to get it out. But the older um, uh, individuals probably want to keep that under wraps. Often. And, it's, and sometimes it does take uh, someone younger and somebody that understands the importance of telling the truth. Uh, there was one woman who contacted me on uh, uh, Twitter and her family had told the story about her great, great, great uncle, I believe, who, uh, fell in love with his enslaved woman and, and they had three children and like they lived this happily, happily, uh, forever, uh, love story. And she said, I know that that's not the truth, that this, she was enslaved. And when you're enslaved, there is no, you know, happily ever after story. And she wanted the truth of this woman whose name was Eve to be told. And Eve's name is etched on the platform of the Unknown Project because I wanted to honor this Black woman who uh, was assaulted by her owner and did have three children. I wanted to honor her and her children. But it took uh, generations later for of this man's niece to tell the true story. So, you know, it may be someone younger that has the story that can find the name uh, and turn them over to us. And, and I hope that that continues to happen. And so when you have the names, um, Hannah, and you find yourself out by the, the Kentucky River and you're reciting these names, what does that feel like to you? And why, and why is it so important to you? 
that's when we tell this story and, and get to the part where we read the names of the enslaved. Like I get, I get emotional every single time. Uh, we pour out libations and we recite um, all of the names, and um, it's very emotional that these names were hidden, hidden for hundreds of years, mm-hmm. hidden away from history as if they didn't exist. And if, if, if you don't have anything, you, you may not have a penny to your name, but you have a name. Right. And how dare we? How dare we? Who are we to erase these people as if mm. they never existed? And I think our job was just to exhume these bodies. I tell people all the time, even with enslavement, even with Breonna Taylor, people will always cry out for justice, even if they have to cry out from the soil. Mm. They're going to cry out for justice. They're going to cry out to be heard because everybody wants to be able to say, I exist. I'm not enough. I was always here. And so you also spend a lot of time and you put your efforts, your energy, your emotion, your passion into your writing. Um, One of the, you know, you're, you're also a poet. You know, tell us about some of the work that you've done that's been really significant for you that took you to a place that maybe you didn't imagine that you were going to be in when you started, when you sat down to start writing. You know, ironically, I I wrote this poem uh, called Finding Me, and I was very curious. I returned from Dakar, Senegal, and I stood in the the door of no return at Gory Island, which was the final point before they put enslaved people on on ships and dispersed them throughout the transatlantic slave trade. And I was very curious how that would feel and and to come how that looked in America. And and I was telling my mom about this experience and going. I went down to Mississippi. I'd been to the Deep South and started visiting these of various plantations and uh, my mom told me well Hannah you know when I was a little girl I used to pick cotton and my mom had never told me this before and I was like what are you talking about and she said yeah when I was a little girl my grandmother would pick me up and and we would she'd take me and my brothers and sister would go pick cotton and I said well how long did you do this and she said for three years from the time she was nine till she was 12. And I just couldn't imagine my mom doing that. I, she'd never talked about it before. And so I wrote this poem called, and I, well, I asked her, well, tell me about your grandmother. She never talked about her grandmother. And all my grandparents are, are deceased. And I said, well, what's her name? And she said, I can't, I can't remember her name. We just called her Mamie. And I was so curious about the rest of my family mm. that uh, I had never seen before. I didn't know why I enjoyed writing. I didn't know anything about uh, my ancestors. So I wrote this poem called Finding Me and about finding pieces of me in, in cotton fields and red mud and all of these different things. I, I believe I wrote this poem in 2016 or 2017, long before the Unknown Project even existed. Mm-hmm. I was just trying to find these pieces of me. and. As life would have it, during the protest, a reporter from the New York Times was doing, wanted to do a story on somebody that was protesting, and I happened to be the person that she chose. And so I talked to her about the unknown 
project and not being able to find my family. And a woman on Facebook read that story and traced my entire family for me. Wow. And she sent me a message on Facebook, but we weren't friends, but went in the spam folder. And for some reason, one day I looked in this folder and saw her message. And sure enough, once I talked to her, she started naming off the aunts and uncles that I did know, but traced my family all the way back to South Carolina uh, in the 1800s. And uh, which would be, I believe it's my great, 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 great grandmother. And her name was Hannah. I had no idea. Oh, oh that's there. special. No, and, and, and she said, you can tell your mom that her grandmother, the name she cannot remember, uh, uh, is Eliza Cochran. And she lived to be 111 years old. Wow. So I was able to tell my mom that. So doing this process and writing that poem, it was as if I was writing out my future and I had no idea that doing this, I was able to find my family and people that were enslaved in my family. And this year, I will go back to the plantation where my family was enslaved. Wow. So I'm going to read a quote that, that you've said your sole purpose in writing and speaking is not that I entertain you. I am trying to shake a nation. Yes. I think a lot of people see um, poetry or singing or dance as simply entertainment. And my purpose is I'm trying to wake you up. I'm trying to shake you out of this slumber so that you can see what's happening in this nation. And warn people. You know, I tell people all the time, black people always smell the rain coming. And the rain is coming. The plane is on fire. And people just don't understand when a plane is on fire, it doesn't matter where you're sitting on the plane. Mm-hmm. If it's going down, everybody's going down. That's true. And people need to understand that in Kentucky. Uh, the plane is on fire. And we're going down. And there are people, myself, other activists, other artists, you all with your show, that are trying to wake the state up. Wake up from your slumber and see what is happening. Because if we don't change it, we're going to be in a world of trouble. And so while you're trying to wake people up, um, all you had to do was play the game, boy. (laughs) (laughs) Speaking of waking people Uh, up. I, I don't want to ask poem. you what inspired you because we 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 know the we know what was happening in real time, um, but that was viewed over two two million times. You know, yeah. Um, what were you thinking and feeling when when it was time for that poem? I wanted that poem to be as harsh as I could make it. Uh, uh, when you're a writer, you sometimes you will use a chisel and write, and sometimes you will use a sledgehammer. Uh-huh. And I wanted to use the sledgehammer. I wanted people to feel something when they uh, heard that poem because I was so angry that I knew uh, what Colin Kaepernick was trying to do. 
Um, and many, many athletes have done this, you know, before mm-hmm. Colin Kaepernick. And, and I knew he was trying to bring awareness to something. And he had spent his entire life uh, uh, just to get into the NFL, such a hard job. And they stripped him of that. Uh, not because of anything he had done personally, uh, anything an offense he had done, but because he was trying to stand up for black people. And they took it away from him as if he should just be grateful and just play the game and be silent. Still got him. Yes. Yeah. And it, it bothered me. And so I wrote that poem and I wanted it to hurt. What people need to realize because I could not have planned this. If I was planning this, I couldn't have planned it any better. I wrote the poem, I believe it was in 2017, two years uh, prior uh, to Colin Kaepernick seeing it. And I would share it often and he, you know, didn't see it and blah, blah, blah. But on Super Bowl Sunday, when the entire world was focused on Colin Kaepernick is when he decided to share that poem. And I couldn't, I couldn't have, have planned it if I wanted to. Um, and Ava DuVernay shared it as well. And many more people. And that's why it got uh, so much attention. Well, um, and, and LeBron in the same vein, you know, he's been told to shut up and dribble as if yeah. that's all he is capable of doing. Right. It's, and, 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 it, and what they don't understand, LeBron is an athlete. Uh, uh, Colin Kaepernick is an athlete. Muhammad Ali uh, was an athlete, but they are black men. These are black people. And these things impact them. There is no, you know, th- there's like this a belief in America, like, oh, you have money. So racism could never bother exactly, you yeah. because you're rich. That, you know, having money doesn't erase racism. We have seen even Oprah Winfrey, one of the richest black women in the world, mm-hmm. face racism and say racist things have happened to her. So it's not some, because you have some money, it's not some get out of racism free card, you know, and, <laughs> and even if it was, why can I not use my platform to speak up for black people? Why can I not use my platform when I see injustice happening just because I can dribble a ball? That's right. You know, that, that doesn't work for me. And so uh, I stand with Colin Kaepernick and everything that he did. And here's what bothers me, particularly even in Kentucky, that one day, it may be 20 years, maybe 30 years, maybe 40 years, you'll watch the whole narrative change. Oh, we love Colin Kaepernick. Right. And we, we, we love what he was trying to do for the people. And we, because why? Because we see how they did it with Muhammad Ali. Mm-hmm. Even here in his own city, mm-hmm. in his own city where he was called of racial slurs and called the N-word and rejected by the people and couldn't get served in restaurants. And now we see all of a sudden, oh, we love Muhammad Ali. We just, he was always doing the right thing. We always support him. They mm-hmm. do it with Martin Luther King. Right. Oh, we just love Martin Luther King. And we always, oh, oh my goodness, what a great leader. And before he died, his disapproval rating was outrageous. And so they try to make a hero out of people after they die or years later. And I tell Kentucky, I challenge, if you know that 20, 30, 40 years from now, you're going to try to stand on the right side of justice, then why not do it today? Right, right. Hannah, I could talk to you. 
for the end of the day. But I'm getting a note. <laughs> Look, I'm getting a notification that our time is up. And we always try to leave people with hope. Um, hope has kept me standing a, a lot of days. I'm gonna give you the last word. What what in the way of hope can you leave our listeners with? One of my favorite quotes by Anne Lamont says, hope begins in the dark. So if we are in the darkness, that is the best place because that is where hope begins. So start today. Change the world today in your own little corner. Do something today. What isn't an option is to do nothing. And, and, and there's no better place to stop than there. Hannah Drake, thank you so much for joining us today. Hannah, where else? Thank you. Thank you for having me. Where else can we find you? I know. I think you got podcasts. You're doing everything. We, we need an hour show for you. If people, if you, if people go on my website, it's hannahldrake.com. They can find my podcast, my blog, all my social media, everything. Well, Hannah, it's been a joy having you on the show. I want you to stay on the on the line, though. Don't 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 go nowhere. I can't I can't let you go. Hold on, as we end the show. <laughs> Thank you. You've been listening to Let's Talk More Action.